Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. The Boone Podcast continues with our two-part special podcast with Chili Davis. All right, let's do this. And now, here's your host, Brett Boone. Angels. Well, you had two pretty big years. You go 21-93, 20-90. After the 90 season, you go to Minnesota. Tom Kelly's the skipper. Mm-hmm. I played against Tom Kelly. And in 91, uh, your World Series champ. First one. There'll be two more after this. Yep. But you had 29 yep. jacks, 93. I remember that team because those are the teams that when I was when I was getting ready to be a rookie, I was playing against Herbeck, and you mentioned at the opening Shane Mack, Jack Morris on the hill. Mm-hmm. That's Scott. I think that oh, yeah. was Scotty Scotty Erickson's rookie year, and he had the black Filthy. glove and he had the the black Filthy. shoes. Yeah, I re- I remember that sinker, but, uh, heavy sinker slider. Yeah, you know, chew you up. Kirby you know, Puckett, ninety Puckett. Yeah, how can you how can you forget that guy? You know, in 90, I was having a good year with the Angels. What did I hit in 90? I don't know. I think I hit 390, but I didn't have a lot of at-bats because I had a bad back. I had a history of uh, L4, L5 issues, and it flared up that year. And um, after 90, I was was given new-look free agency because I had one more year left with the Angels, okay? And the new look free agency came from collusion. Remember the collusion issue with the owners and Mm -hmm. the court slapped them with a fine of $280 million. And they gave the players that were involved in collusion second chance at free agency. So after 90 had one year left with the angels, we went back to the angels to renegotiate my deal saying, I just want to add a couple years to this because I do want to stay in Southern Cal. I love this is my home, you know? And they were, uh, they declined even talking to us. They were very reluctant, very hesitant to negotiate with us. But in the meantime, they went after Gary Gaetti, who also got new look free agency. And they loved Gary and they wanted Gary. And they signed Gary to three years, $12 million, which was disappointing to me because that was my three years, $12 million that I was looking for, you know? So when they did that, it was like a slap in the face. And I said, okay, then I guess they really don't want me here. So um, I got a call when the Twins lost Gary Gaetti. Kirby Puckett called me, Dan Gladden called me, and Tom Kelly called me and said, we're looking for a guy that can hit between Puckett and Herbeck and, and you know, that type of hitter. Um or would you like to come to Minnesota? Well, Puck and Gladden called me, and I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, boom, boom. I said, yeah, you know, fine, I'll come. What do we? And they didn't pay me a great deal more than I was making, but they did give me a two-year contract, you know? So I left and went to Minnesota. And when I got to Minnesota and saw who we had there, Jack Morris, uh, Chuck Knobloch, you know, Patty Rulo came over, Steve Bedrosian, Rick Aguilera. You know, uh, Scotty Erickson, um, Puckett, Mack, Gladden, Herbeck, Gagney. You know, I mean, I looked around and went, this is not a bad team. You know, this is a pretty good team here. 
And we got a guy in Kirby Puckett that's going to hit 330 for you, you know? He's the guy right in the middle. So I went over there and I DH most of the year, and I hit uh, fourth behind Puckett against left-handers and fifth behind Puckett and Herbeck against right-handers. And I had Brian Harper hitting six behind me. Brian Harper was a good hitter. 300 hitter, toughest two two strike out there was. You couldn't strike that guy out. Hit 312, three whatever. And we gelled, man. We gelled as a team. We started the season one and 10, Booney. And Texas Rangers were the hottest team going at the time. They were like 11 and 0 or something that year. They were just red hot. And we went into Texas, first game, Scotty Erickson starting. He was the hottest pitcher uh, in the American League at the time. And um, I remember, you know, a reporter coming up to Scotty, and he and I were roommates, so we kind of hung out together. So came to Scotty, and he goes, well, you got the Rangers tonight, and da-da-da-da, you know, and how do you think this is going to fare? And Scotty, being modest, he goes, I don't know. I'll just go out there and pitch my game. And, and I looked at the report. I go, he's going to shove him. He's going to shove it. And the guy goes, really? I say, yeah, he's going to shove it. The win streak finished now. Ends right here. Scotty shoved it up their butts, man. We beat him. We swept him. We swept him, Booney, and went on a, a, a long win streak ourselves. And then we lost uh, uh, an extra inning to um, Baltimore. Some, some guy pinched head and hit a double off Aguilera and beat us. And after we lost that game, we were on another win streak. And it just kept going and going and going. You know, and then the the um, playoffs, ironically, we played um, Toronto in the playoffs, who finished the season in the Dome in Minnesota, the last three games of the year, and stayed there because they we had a better record than them. They started the, the playoffs against us in Minnesota. But during the season, if we played them 11 times, Booney, we were one and ten against those guys. They kicked our butts, and we beat them uh, four. Uh, was it? We be, uh, it might have been a three out. I think it was a four out of seven series. We beat them and went on to the World Series to play the Braves. And you know the history of that. Two last of first teams, you know, really good teams, and they had Smoltz and all those guys. Really good team. David Justice, Ron Gant, Lonnie Smith, Terry Pendleton. It was crazy, man. And, we, you know, it was, a, it was a good series. Anybody could have won that series. We, you know, we had a horse on the mound in game seven in Jack Morris. That, you know, if you ever faced Jack Morris or played with Jack Morris, he's one of the biggest competitors you'll ever meet on that mound. And he's intimidating, too. And we I remember watching you guys. Training. I was an instru- I was an instructional ball, and watching that World Series. I remember it. I think there were three or four extra inning ball games in that World Series. Mm-hmm. You know, it was that close. The teams were that evenly matched, man. You know, but Kevin Tappany was one of our starters. You know, we have it was it was a fun year, man. It was a and when you win a World Series, man, you know, it's like you're in the moment at the time. You're like, yeah, we won, and you celebrate and everything. But when you get away from that moment and you get a chance to be alone, what you really reflect on is spring training and the whole year getting to that point. 
you look back and you go, man, wow, that was a journey, you know? Yeah. That was a journey, and it was worth it. Yeah. So. Stay there two anyway. years. You're a free agent. You go back to California. And I'm looking through your numbers. You, you had some big years in California. California, the second time around, you go 27, 112 in 93. You're an all-star in 94. Mm-hmm. You hit 311. You hit 20 homers in 95. 96, you hit 28 homers, 95 RBIs. Uh, you, you like California. I You like Anaheim Stadium? I, it's my favorite place to hit. To I this was day. home. I was home. 94 was going to be my best year ever. We struck in 94, remember? Didn't mm-hmm. play the World Series. That's right. Remember that? In August of 94, baseball shut down. Right. I was hitting, I think, 324, 26 homers or something like that, and 80-something RBIs in August. Mm-hmm. And I was red hot that month. And then we went on strike. I think I ended up winning the Angels Triple Crown that year. That was my biggest year, and we went on strike. And to this day, you'll never know what kind of numbers would have happened. But like I said before, Booney, I ran into Rod Carew. Okay? And I'm not giving Rod all the credit, but he deserves a lot of the credit because to this day, Rod Carew and I are very good friends. And there was a connection with me and Rod Carew when I was there. And then, you know, I had Tim Salmon and Tony Phillips and Jimmy Edmonds and, and Garrett Anderson, all these really good young players, you know, and I was like the leader on the team, one of the leaders on the team, you know, but then Rod Carew was like the mentor to me, you know? And so a lot of things he and I talked about sometimes wasn't even baseball. It was just about life, you know, and, you know, I think his daughter died uh, while I was with the Angels, which was very sad. And, yeah, uh, I remember that. But he was he was huge to me, man. I mean, he, he, I I was so calm as a hitter when I when I met him because I didn't care about making one out anymore. You know what I mean? You know, you know, a lot of guys making out their first at bat, and then the second one they grind even more. And, Third one, they grind even more. You know, if you're all for three, it's like a grind, you know? It got to the point where if I made an out, I, I accepted it. I knew how I made the out. And it's like, okay, now we won't do that again. You know, but we're still looking for what we were looking for when we came up here, you know? It was like, you know, and, and how many times do you go strike out the first at bat and, and go three for four or four for five and have a big day? Or how many times do you go deep the first at bat and go over one for four with three punches after that. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, I learned even in, in my thirties, my later thirties, you know, how to get better. Every year was about getting better, getting better, getting better. And I think running into Rod Carew, just his mentality and the closeness that we developed as coach and player really took, took me to another level. Yeah, there's something to be said for when you're when you're on, you know, that same wavelength with your hitting coach. Because people, you know, it it cracks me up in the game where people, oh, that hitting coach should be fired. Well, (laughs) they don't understand the dynamic. 
down in there. Hitting coaches, it's, you know, you don't get any credit when the team rakes, the players are raking. But when the mm-hmm. players can't aren't hitting well, it's your fault. Well, I find yeah. I've never blamed a hitting coach. It's never their fault when I don't play well. But I always do hey, give you know credit. Speaking when when I get the guys that can help me, they got plenty of credit from me because they gave me those little, like you said, those little tips, those little, hey, remember yep. last week when you were doing this? You might want to think about that again. Oh, light goes off in my head. That's right. Yeah, Thanks exactly. for reminding me. Now I'm back yep. on track. That's what the coaches are there for, to remind you yeah. what you do right when you're doing things well, you know? But right. I had a player, where was this? In, um who, who, who is this? We had a player somewhere that came up to me one day, came from another organization. I was a hitting coach in spring training. And I said, who was your hitting coach last year? Oh, man, our hitting coach last year, man, he sucked. I said, yeah. I said, uh, what did you hit? Well, I struggled, <laughs> man. I hit there we go. He goes, <laughs> he looks at me, he goes, I hit uh, 220, whatever. I, I don't never, I'll never name any names, but I said, yeah. I said, your hitting coach must have really sucked. He had 220? He goes, yeah, man, he was terrible, man. He couldn't help me at all. I said, I totally agree with you, bro. Your hitting coach was terrible. He goes, you know him? I said, yeah, I'm looking at him right now. He goes, what do you mean? I said, in my world, you're your best hitting coach. Don't you ever blame your coach for you having a bad year, okay? You are your best hitting coach. If your hitting coach sucked, that means you suck. Okay, and the player didn't like that. I, I know the guy. I'm looking. I see his eyes, his, his face right now, but I'm not going to name any names. <laughs> no, I don't. He didn't don't like that it. either. Yeah. But After '96, you know same guy came ahead. to me. The same guy yeah. came to me and, and and said, "You know, chill. You're actually right, man. You're you're 100." The kid was. He came to me one day and said, "You're right. If I suck, that means." I, if my hitting coach sucked, that means I suck because you're right. I'm my best hitting coach. I said, yeah, my job here is to listen to you and help you to get to where you're trying to get to. Okay. And if you're, we're working together, you'll get there. Go ahead. But you know, just for people. No, I've, 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 I've had some good ones. I've had some, I've had some, I had one of my favorite men in the game. Uh, one of my favorite all time guys is Paul Molitor. He was my hitting coach in, mm-hmm. Uh, in Seattle one year, and mm-hmm. I remember at the end of the year, I you know I hit, ah, I forgot what my numbers were at twenty five, but it was a down year from the year before. And I remember he's, mm-hmm. I've told this story before. Molly's flipping, and man, he was there working early, working early, and he's flipping yeah. to me, and he he looks at me and he goes, Booney, because I'll tell you what, he goes, I could get a hit. I said, Molly, I know you could get a hit. I played against you, and he goes. Problem is, I can't help you get a hit. <laughs> and he was one of my favorite guys. And we just didn't yeah. have that, you know, that language yeah. between us. It, it's like, you know, when you're talking to your kid and and you're trying to mm-hmm. tell him something, but he's not getting it. But maybe your best friend says the same Somebody thing else. and it gets yeah. through to him. Yeah. And, and you got to you got to learn to sometimes, hey, maybe the assistant hitting coach can help. The yeah. bottom line is yeah. if, if he hits. We're better. I don't care if the peanut lady can help him. If if he helps us win a game That's tonight, right. go talk to the peanut lady. 
And and uh, yeah, but it's not all. It's not like yeah. that in the game. There's a lot of jealousy, and there's a lot of uh, oh, you can't go behind. Yeah, if I'm a coach, I'm secure yeah, enough know, in myself yeah. to go. I don't care who can help you, but the better you do, the better this team does, exactly. and the better chance we have going to the postseason mm-hmm. and the World Series, and the bigger the check you're going to get at the end of the season. That's what the we don't common make, objective we don't make the players be. look good. As a coach, right. I don't make the players look good. They make me look good. Right. The thing about having an assistant hitting coach or being in an organization and having, you know, a head guy, an assistant guy, an analytical guy, you're all working together for the same purpose, is that you all have to communicate and you all have to be on the same page about the players. Okay? You can't have anybody stabbing anyone behind the back. You have to, whatever I talk to a player about, if you're not there, when I see you, I got to say, this is what we went over today, you know? And if I'm not there and you're there, this is what we went over today. And before we go to a player and talk to him about anything, let's sit here and discuss how we're going to approach this player so that we're all going to him with the same, you know, the same thing. But it doesn't happen that way sometimes, man. Sometimes you get guys that are, you know, they're looking uh, at their assistant job or whatever as a stepping stone because they want to become the head guy. And, you know, they don't realize that once you're the head guy, you're going to end up with an assistant too. And you're going to have to get him on the same page as you, you know? So when you got, I had a guy in New York that was incredible. Tom Slater. I'm naming that name. That was one of my favorite people as an assistant hitting coach. And the players knew it. The players knew we were on the same page, you know, and, and so therefore they trusted us together with the match. Right. Now, I had another guy in Boston named Victor Rodriguez, who's now with Cleveland. Same thing. The players knew it. And when it works that way, then you have a team. You have players not, you know, talking to both of us, having a good time. We sit in the, in the cage and doing a rain delay with Pedroia and Mookie and Big Poppy and Hanley and, and everybody and just talk about each other and crack jokes and tell stories. And we're all having a good time. When the game starts and it's getting ready to start, boom. We go to work. You know, we had two cages. Hey, you know, uh, I had Victor in one and I'm in one. And whoever was ready jumped in whichever one was available because we were sending them the same message. And the same thing happened in New York with Tom Slater. We're sending them the same message. And when the boys were out and they walked out to go get loose for the game, we'd come together and say, man, that was good. That was a good. Hey, yeah, you know, Ben and Tendy were great today. You know, Slade would look at me and go, hey, you know, Guillaume, Brand, he's swinging nice. Big Pete? Oh, yeah, man, come on. And we were like, all right, let's go. Let's go have some fun. The best day we're going to have today, Slade, is where we don't have to say a word to these guys because we scored 16 runs today. And everybody's going to come in and to be high-fiving, and you and I can just sit in the corner and just look at it and go, yeah, boys, go ahead and rake. <laughs> yeah, you know, it makes it that's a that's a, a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, you don't get those mm-hmm. you don't get those years too often, but it, it's it's no. a lot of fun. No. You got traded after '96 yeah. for uh, a friend of both Mark of ours, Mark, Gooby. Yep, good man. Got traded good for man. Gooby. I love Gooby. And you went mm-hmm. to the Royals to play for the one and only Bob Your, Boone. Give me a first hand account because you had a good year that year. You hit thirty and ninety. 279. Let me tell you something, man. What was it like playing for uh, Big Bob? When your dad got fired, the team was very disappointed. That team loved Booney. I'm telling you, that team 
loved the players loved Booney. I like Booney a lot. He had he had uh, Mitch. Uh, what's Mitch? Mitch passed away. Yeah, for the Mitchell age. Page. Mitchell Page. Um, Mitchell Page. He had Bruce Keeson as a as a, a pitching coach. Pitching coach. He yep. had um, uh, Baby Bull from Philly. As a, oh, no, you know, he's the original the bull. Greg yeah. Luzinski. Yeah. yeah. Luzinski was our, you know, we had, and we had uh, Rich Dower as a third base coach. We had a good staff. We had players that were young and some other players that were okay. We didn't really have any superstars, superstars on that team. Um, you know, if, if I look around, we had Jay Bell, Jeff King that came over from the um, Pirates, two good players, Joe Vitiello. I mean, we didn't really have any superstars on the team, you know, but we had a pretty good team, but we just didn't. We had Johnny Damon on that team, a young Johnny Damon. We didn't yeah. gel, you know. And the pitching staff wasn't a real strong pitching staff. We had Belcher, who was a, a competitor, Hippolito Pichardo. We had another little lefty. We had a couple of guys. Our bullpen was okay. But they fired your dad, and they brought a guy in named Tony Muser who thought he could come in and go, rah, 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 you're going to play, and you're going to play good, you know? And it was like, you know, <laughs> but um, playing for you, you know what I mean? You know that type? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'll tell you a story, man. I think I told you the story. When Tony Muser met us, he met us on the road. And um, we had a couple games left, and we might have lost those games. We stunk, you know, but we came home that night. And we waited for the trucks to come with our luggage. And when the truck came, there must have been 15 sets of golf clubs that came off that, <laughs> came off that truck, man. I mean, you know, so Muser saw that, and he was a little disturbed by it. So he, he had planned a, a meeting the next day. And he came in the locker room, and David Howard had come in early, and I had a brand-new Big Bertha sent to me. And it was in a box, and Howie opened up the box and was swinging it in the clubhouse. And Muser saw that. So he called a meeting out on the field, right field line. We're all sitting there. And he goes, okay, I'm just going to explain something. I love to play golf as much as anyone on this team. But we're here to play baseball. And last night I came in, and the truck came in from that road trip, and there were more golf clubs that came off that truck than luggage. So here, and, it is, and here's the rule. If I see anyone or hear of anyone playing golf for the rest of the year, you're going to be fined. There will be no golf. And he says, as a matter of fact, on the way out to this, into this locker room today, on the way in the locker room, the first thing I see is some guy in the locker room swinging a driver. So I took that driver and I broke it across my knee. And he's, in, he's really adamant in this conversation. When he said broke it across his knee, I said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Now I'm 37 years old. You know, Tony, Tony, Tony. Was that driver a Callaway Big Bertha? He goes, oh, I don't know what it was. I said, well, if it was, you owe me $400, big boy. Okay, you don't break my driver. And, and the, everybody on the team just kind of got quiet, like, Whoa, you interrupted his meeting to say that? It was not out of disrespect, first of all. Okay, because I like Tony Muser. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, but we also meeting, know what it's like when we get a good driver in our hands. Can't be breaking. Yeah, but after the meeting, I walk in his office, 
when he with a checkbook. And he goes, what do you want? I said, I'm going to write you a check. He goes, for what? I said, well, I figure we got a month and a half left, and I'm probably going to play one time a week. And you said you're going to find us if you ever heard that we play golf. So I just want to prepay my fine because I'm going to play golf. I'm the DH. I said, here's your options with me. I said, you know, I can come in after a game, especially on the road, go to the bar, have some drinks, and maybe drink one or two more than I should, go and go to bed, go to sleep, and wake up at noon not feeling quite ready to go, you know what I mean? Come to the ballpark and, you know, drink coffee, whatever, trying to get wake up and all that. Or I can go in after a game, sleep, wake up at 6 a.m. in the morning, go play nine holes, and get back here in time to get to the ballpark. I'm awake. My body's been moving around. I'm ready to go. Boom. Golf woke me up. I said, you, you, you make the call, man, because if you're going to find me, I'm going to pay the fine. I'm not going to not pay it. And he, he looks at me and he goes, Shelly, I don't mind if you play golf. I, I understand what you're saying. It's the young players that I don't want out there. I said, no, I'm not having any young players out there. You know who went to play golf every day? Me and David Howard. Every day. You know, but your dad, come getting back to your dad. I played with your dad. You know that in Anaheim. So playing for him was a treat because he treated me like a, a veteran player. And he also allowed me to help coach the young guys, him and, and, and Luzinski. They allowed me to help coach the young guys. Like, you know, Greg would work with guys and, you know, he was the old school guy. So he worked with the starters a lot. You know, and then the guys that were backup players, you know, uh, Phil Sutton and uh, I forgot the other kid's name, um, they didn't get that time with him. So we'd go for early BP and I'd, you know, stand behind the cage with them and go, hey, man, Sutton, you got to do this. You got to do this. Your swing works better when you do this. You know, and the little shortstop we had, I can't remember, he was Derwood Merrill's ne uh, nephew or something like that. I'm like, you got to do this. You know, you got to work the ball the other way. Keep the ball out of the air. You're not a home run hitter. And those guys, we started swinging the bat well, but your dad allowed that. You know, you and I both know as ex-players that a lot, of, a lot of what we learn as players, as young players, we learn from former players, from veterans that were still with us when we were players. You know what I mean? The veteran right. players taught us the ropes, okay? And your dad was that kind of player, and so therefore he allowed me – as that kind of hitter, as that kind of player, to, to you know, influence Jay Bell. He, he allowed Jay Bell. He allowed Jeff King. You know, uh, Jermaine Dye was on that team. He allowed us to influence these guys by talking to them. I remember Baby Bull kept telling Johnny Damon, you know, keep both hands on the bat. You know how Johnny Damon is that one-handed swinger? Mm -hmm. Keep both hands on the bat. Keep both hands on the bat. And <laughs> I went up to Baby Bull and I go, Bull, you're asking him to do something that he can't do, bro. And if you watch this kid hit, he can run. If you watch him hit, when he take that one hand off the bat, the ball jumps off the bat. Quit telling him to do that, man. Let him hit his way. And then Bull looked at me and he goes, all right, chill. So I said, JD, man, just go hit your way, man. Just hit string of strikes. Hey, you know what happened to Johnny Damon after that. I ran into Johnny Damon in Tampa in the last part of his career. And he reminded me of that. He goes, I'll never forget 
you went up to Bull and told Bull to quit telling me to keep both hands on the bat. <laughs> Yeah, but, you Bull, know, man, I grew up with Bull, I grew up with Bull, and I can I can see Bull doing it, you know, because that's how Bull hit. Yeah, it was power was hitter, hitter, you know, pulled his homers, and he was two hands on the yeah. bat, and that works for a lot of people. You know, I couldn't release yeah. with one hand, it, but some some of the greatest of all times release with one hand. Some of the greatest keep two yeah. hands on the bat. It's it's so individualized. Um, yeah. you go to, to you go to quickly. Wait a minute, quick back to Kansas City quickly. When I found out I got traded to Kansas City, I was like, oh, my God. Because that was like the biggest ballpark in the American League. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm like, I'm going to hit balls. And, there's, and I, you know, remember, I played in Candlestick where I could hit balls center and left center, left-handed, and it just died at the warning track because of the wind. Now I'm going to the biggest ballpark in the American League. I'm like, my numbers are going to go down so bad. It's, it's, it's going to be ridiculous. So when I went to spring training, my mindset was, Booney, believe it or not, I went to spring training and I said, you can check these numbers because I ain't going to lie about anything because we're on the air and you got, you know, Google and everything. You can't lie anymore, you know. But um, I went to Kansas City and I said, I, in spring training, everything I hit in spring training, I'm going to practice. I, I don't want to pull anything down the, left, the right field line left-handed and I don't want to pull anything down the left field line right-handed. Everything I'm going to hit in, in here is I'm going to challenge the biggest part of the ballpark. I'm going to hit everything left center, right center, center field. That's my approach. Left center, right center, center field. I'm just going to stay up the middle, up the middle, up the middle, you know. And I did that. And because I did that, when I got to Kansas City, I looked at some Somebody brought some numbers to my attention, which I didn't even know happened. I hit 30 home runs that year, Okay. I hit 21 of them at home. I hit nine homers on the road. Of the 20, of the 30 home runs I hit, 23 of them were to the opposite field, center field, oppo field. And of the 21 that I hit at home, 19 was oppo center field. And that came from the way I worked. You know what I mean? That, I've never hit 30 home runs ever before that or after that. I had 350 home runs, hit 30 home runs once. I don't know how that shit that happens, but sorry about the language. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. No, it's a high you rent know. district. Other way, other way. That's where the money yeah. is. Uh, free agent, like you sign with the... Huh? Yeah. Free agent, you sign with the Yankees. Ninety-eight, ninety-nine, and and as I was doing my prep work for for this, I just thought, "Wow, great career, and what a way to end it!" Because you end up retiring after the ninety-nine season, you go play for Tory and those great Yankee teams. You win the World Series in ninety-eight and the World Series in ninety-nine yeah. for your third for your okay. third ring. What a way to go out! I I I'm, I'm jealous. Because I got to play 14 years, and I always thought at the end, because I loved Yankee Stadium, I loved hitting there, and I just thought, mm-hmm. man, I, you know what? At the very end, I'd love to go play a year in in New York, play for Steinbrenner, and and that whole thing. It never came to fruition for me, but I was looking at at, at your uh, at your stats, and I'm going, now that's the way to go out right there, two rings in a row, and yeah. and take it to the house, and and go coach for for 12 years or 14 years. Yeah, give me a snapshot well, of just. Going to New York and and what was to come for those next two years? You're just doing nothing but winning. Okay. I'll start from why I went to New York. 
Okay. In 97, at the end of the year, right before the trading deadline, Tony Muser calls me in his office and he goes, hey, we got a deal that we can make today. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah, and it involves you. I said, yeah, where am I, where would I go? He goes, the Yankees want you. I said, really? You know, this was 97. And I said, well, what's the problem? He goes, well, let me explain this to you, Chili. Um, you, you haven't put up like the best numbers year by year by a player, by an offensive player. You, you know, you're not, a, you haven't put up MVP numbers, but based on your career and the numbers you have put up, you have been one of maybe the top most consistent hitter in the game. We can put these numbers down 25, 90 and 275, 280, whatever. And you're going to hit 300 and you're going to hit your 260s and your 290s, but we can put these numbers down and you're going to meet those numbers every year. You have been one of the most consistent offensive players in the game. And for that, we want something in return. Well, you know who they were asking for? Posada and Romero Mendoza, their setup guy and their future catcher. And I'm like, you know, I looked at him. I said, Tony, come on, man. I said, you might as well be asking for Jeter. You know, I said, I'm 37 years old. They're not going to give that up. You know, they're not going to give that up. And I said, you need to consider, too, the fact that I'm a free agent after this year. And at, back then, there were no qualifying offers. You know, they were like, you're either an eight-class free agent, which demanded that they get something in return, in a draft. I said, if you do, if you wait for a draft, yeah. I said, you could probably get a couple of really nice minor league prospects for me and build this team. I said, if I was you, I'd make the deal. They never made the deal. So I finished off the year in Kansas City. The, the Yankees went to the playoffs and I think they lost the Cleveland Indians in the ALCS. Okay. 97. So the, the winter of 97, I'm at my agent, Tom Rich's house, and he tells me to come who, over. Who, so is my agent is, who is my agent as well, for those of you wondering? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tom was, he was a super agent, you know? And so he's living out in Malibu. I go over to his house, and he gets on the phone with George Steinbrenner. And I don't know who he's talking to. Talking to. So he hands me the phone, and he goes, hey, somebody wants to talk to you. I said, me? He hands me the phone. I said, hello. He goes, hey, this is George Steinbrenner. Are you going to come play for me or what? I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> the Yankees, <laughs> you know? And I said, well, George, I mean, if you want me to, I mean, you know, what do I say? I mean, I, I know you're going to make a good offer, and, you know, I'm a free agent. You, make, you and Tom work this out, and I'll be there for spring training. So he goes, okay, then give the phone back to Tom. And he they talked for a while, a little while later, a few, a week, whatever later, I got an offer from the Yankees for three years, two years and a third off, third year option. And uh, best money I had made in the game ever, you know? And um, I go to spring training and I wouldn't say I had a killer spring training. I was kind of pacing myself, working on stuff, working on stuff. And I, I was I was in the after a game. I hadn't hit any homers yet, 
after a game, I was in the ice tub because it was hot in Florida. You know, I was sitting in the ice tub, and George comes in the training room. He goes, hey, when are you going to hit a home run for me? I didn't bring you over here to hit singles. When you played against me, all you ever did was hit home runs. I said, George, you want me to hit home runs right now? He goes, yeah, I need to see you hit a home run. The next day we played Kansas City, and Tim Belcher was pitching. And I hit two balls, one over the center field fence and one over on Dale Mabry or whatever. And Straw, Strawberry hit two that day too. And after the game, I'm sitting in the tub again, and he walks in, George goes, now that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. You know, this was, I love George Steinbrenner. So we had a real nice spring. Let me tell you, Booney. But now what we walked out of spring training, I looked at that team and I went, if anybody beats us this year, they, they, they better be good. Because our pitching staff was El Duque, David Wells, Andy Pettit, David Cohn, and Hideki Irabu. Our closer was Mariano Rivera. We had Mike Stanton, Jeff Nelson, Ramiro Mendoza. I can't even name. I mean, our team had Tim Raines, uh, myself, uh, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill, Tino Martinez, Derek Jeter. So we picked up Scott Boches, not Chuck Knobloch. I mean, it was just, and the catcher was Joe Girardi, and the backup was Posada, you know? And it was like, I'm like, this is ridiculous right here. This is not the situation I was in Kansas city where I'm trying to help young players. Now I can just come here and play, you know, just be a part of this. Well, I come to come out. We started in Anaheim and, um, second game in Anaheim, I'm running the bases after a hit and boom, blew out my peroneus longus, which is a tendon that comes off your calf, goes under your ankle bone, and stretches under your foot and attaches to your big toe underneath. I think popped from my big toe, rolled all the way up to my calf. And it didn't hurt. It just felt weird. So I'm like, I went up back in the tunnel, ran a couple straight up and down sprints, no problem. Next at bat, I got up and I walked. And I jogged over the first, stood on first, it was two outs. Next guy flew out. I just casually ran around second. When I turned to cut second base, I, I fell. I lost control. Came in, and the trainer looked at me, and he goes, what was that? I said, I don't know, but yeah, that before, something popped in my leg. So I didn't play, finish the game. Well, we went, we went to the doctor. They x-rayed it and told me I had what they call a dancer's injury. You know, when they throw a dancer in the air and she's got to land and uh -huh. with balance, it's a lot of stress on that tendon. And that tendon blows out at time. So I had to have surgery. So I missed most of the year. I met him in Kansas City in August. I was told I wasn't going to play that year. I met him in Kansas City in August and started the game in August. But during the time that I was gone, they were on fire. You know, I mean, that year that the New York Yankees combined with the playoffs and the World Series won 125 games. They had the record of single season victories until the Seattle Mariners broke it one year with 116 wins. We had 115. 
Remember that when the Mariners broke through 116, they broke the record yes. one year. That was so my team. That, yeah, that team was awesome, and so our team was really good. But I had a chance to play in August, play in the playoffs. We played Cleveland, and I remember my best game in the playoffs. Uh, we faced Jared Wright, and I hit a, a, a double, drove in a run, and hit a three-run bomb off him, and we won the game. And then we faced uh, Bartolo Colon one game, and I drove in another run. So I knew my leg was fine, you know, so we won the World Series. We went and played the Padres, swept them in the World Series, got a ring. The next year, we come back to spring training. We traded David Wells to Toronto for Roger Clemens. So we traded class for class, two quality pitchers, one for another. You know what I mean? Because David Wells was as big as a big game a pitcher as any pitcher I've ever played with. That lefty big could balls. pitch. Yeah. yeah, he threw a perfect game in in '98 when I wasn't there. He was, I mean, he didn't run from anywhere, and he didn't walk people. He threw strikes. He didn't throw exceptionally hard, but he had control. He mixed his pitches well. You know, he was a big game pitcher. Him and Andy Pettit are two of the biggest big game, and, and Verlander. You know, I mean, I, I know some big game pitchers from seeing them and facing them. David Wells ranks right up there with any of them, okay? We traded him for Roger Clemens, and we go to the playoffs. We, uh, we beat Texas. We sweep Texas, as we did the year before, and then we played Boston. The only pitcher that beat us for Boston was um, – um, the Hall of Famer, Martinez, beat us. Pedro beat us. We beat them. We're actually, when we beat them, when Pedro beat us, we were up two games to none. We went to Boston. He started, and then we were up two games to one, and we went in after the game and kind of sitting there hanging our heads, you know, not hanging our heads, but like, you know, trying to, you know, it is after a game that you lose, just a little somber. And, uh, um, uh, Yogi Berra walks in there in the locker room. I'll never forget. He goes, what the hell are you guys hanging your heads for? Are you serious? He goes, those clowns haven't beaten us in 89 years, and they're not going to beat us now. We beat them the next two games, went to the World Series, faced the Braves, and, and we swept them too. And that you was the end of my career. The next that that winter, I get a, a letter from the Yankees saying we're buying out your option. Uh, we're not going to tender your contract. So they bought my option out because that's what the contract said. And the reason why I retired because I had an opportunity to play. I had, as a matter of fact, in ninety, not ninety, in uh, two thousand, I got a call in from spring training. Joe Torre called me and said, "What kind of shape are you in?" And I'm like, why? Because, you know, Strawberry had his issues again. He goes, we're looking for a DH. We need somebody that come in. We're going to lose Daryl for a little while. You think you can whip yourself in shape and play a couple minor league games and meet us in the big leagues? And I said, Joe, I'm in golf shape, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> so in, in, in 2000, Booney, I said I declined that. And then I got a call from um, – who was, what was the GM for the Yankees? Bob, black guy. Watson. Passed away before Bobby Watson. He was running the Olympic team in 2000. Him and uh, Tommy Lasorda. And they called me and asked me if I wanted to come 
and try out for the Olympic team. And I said, nah, if I got to try out, you know, and they said, well, everybody's got to try out. And I declined that. And guess what? They won the, the gold. In 2000. And then in 2001, I interviewed either 2001 or 2002. Your dad was with the Reds at the time. Okay. And I interviewed with the Colorado Rockies and the San Diego Padres for a hitting coach job, which they both offered me the big league hitting coach job. I had never coached before. And I did the interviews, Dan O'Dowd and um, I can't remember the guy's name. I got to remember his name. He passed away. These were the Diamondbacks. He, he, um, good guy too, man. Passed away of some cancer or something. Loved his wines. Anyway, um, I declined <laughs> both of those. And then um, your dad called me. I'll never forget the phone call from your dad. Him and Bowden called me. Hey, we've got an idea. You got to ask your dad about this. <laughs> I said, yeah, Booney, what do you got? He goes, how would you like to be a player coach? I'm like, oh, that's, coach? that's right up he Jim goes, Bowden's alley. He likes stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, how would you like to be a player coach? So he, you know, uh, Bob here tells me that you were one of the best hitting coaches he's seen when he had you in Kansas city, the way you worked with the players. And he says, you could come here. And you can be our 25th guy and be our hitting coach. And I said, can I think about that? He goes, yeah, give us a call. I called him back the next day. And I said, Booney, I would be putting myself in a position to fail right there. Because first of all, if I'm your 25th guy, I'm, there's no DHs in the National League. I'm not going to play a position. So I'm going to pinch hit. And when I'm going to pinch hit, it's going to be when the game is on the line. with The toughest closers coming in out of that bullpen. And I said, that's a tough job to have. And I said, right now, my mindset isn't right there. I said, I'll either be a hitting coach or a player, but I ain't going to be both right now. It just ain't going to work for me. And uh, that didn't happen. So, you know, that's 2001 or 2002. And uh, so, therefore, no more job offers came, except I went to Australia for three summers, and I coached in the Australian Baseball Academy which was fun. Got to deal with a lot of good players, kids from all over. Did that. 2010, I went to a spring training game with the Dodgers. Joe Torre was managing the team. Kim Eng was there. I show up, talk to them for a while, and um, they um, called me in the office, and uh, Don Zimmer was with them, and they said, listen, we're going to change our hitting coach position this year. Um, no, no, not, that wasn't the Dodgers. That was the Yankees. But Joe was with the Dodgers, and, and Joe said, hey, you want to work? The, the change your hitting coach position is uh, something that happened with the Yankees when Joe was there, too, in 2001. But anyway, so I said, you want to work? I said, you know, I'm getting a little bored playing golf all the time. Yeah, you know, it'd be interesting. I want to see if I – I did some stuff in Australia, and I really like that. I'd like to try something. And Kim Eng looked at me and she goes, you serious about this? I said, yeah. She goes, well, you know, we offered you a, a job with the Yankees and you turned us down. I said, Kim, you never offered me a job. Well, Cash said, you know, I said, Cash never offered me a job. And that's another story. But I said, yeah, I'm interested. So they handed me off to a guy named John Watson, who's a really one of my good friends, DJ. And uh, 
DJ called me up and said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to these games with me. We'll go to Midland, Michigan. We'll go to Albuquerque, New Mexico. We'll go here. And we'll just walk in. We'll spend a couple of days there, watch, go in when the hitters are doing early work, watch BPs, be on the field. But I don't want you to say anything. I don't want you to try to coach anybody. Just observe, you know. And then we'll sit and watch the game. And during the game, based on what you saw, pregame, tell me what you're seeing now, if it's matching with the player's approach. And it was an awesome little job. It was like a coordinator's job. So I did that. And then after I finished doing that, they offered me a job in instructional league. And I went to instructional league, and it was nice. It was fun. They had interviewed for the big league job with Ned Coletti. I uh, didn't get it. And Ned said, hey, we'll hire you for a minor league gig. And, you know, if something happens in the big leagues, you know, you're our guy we're going to consider. Well, in the main, in, in, at the same time, uh, Mike Hazen called Dijon from the Red Sox and said, we're looking for a A hitting coach. Do you know of anyone? And they recommended me. I went to interview with Theo and Hazen, got the job. I uh, was the hitting coach in Pawtucket that year. Came here, came home after that, went to Fall League because the manager that managed Pawtucket was the manager at Scottsdale. Arnie Baylor, and kind of went out early and helped him with early work and stuff like that with the players. And Billy Bean and Bob Melvin saw me out there and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm coaching. When did you start coaching? Da, da, da. So Bo Melvin calls me up and said, we're looking for a big league hitting coach. You want to interview? I said, yeah. So they called the, the Red Sox and Hazen told me they got a call and good luck. And I went and interviewed and got the job. So I coached uh, Oakland for three years as a hitting coach, 12, 13, 14. We won the division 12 and 13 and went to a one-game playoff for Kansas City, which we lost in 14. Then Boston came knocking. My contract was up, and I went to Boston 15, 16, 17. We didn't go to the playoffs in 15, but we went to the playoffs in 16 and 17. And then uh, 18... 17, I got fired by after the season, and the Cubs picked me up and gave me a three-year deal for 18, 19, and 20. 18, after 18, I got let go. Long story there, but um, so the, I had two more years left on my contract. The Mets called me, Brody Van Wagenen. I went and interviewed with him, the owner, um, uh, um Oh, God, I can't remember everybody was in there. But anyway, got that job. So I coached them from 1920, part of 21, got fired last year. And here we sit doing a podcast. <laughs> well, you haven't had a break. I mean, you shoot, I took about 10 years off after I retired. I did nothing. And and now so I'm getting I. back on. The, and now I'm getting back on this side. I'm just getting revved yeah. up, Chili. You're, you're taking a break. You need a break. You've been you've been going full steam since 07 when you started in the Australian league or the Australian national team. I took a break. I took a break from when I finished in 99, you know, I, um, I went to the Australian league in 2002, three and four because they went to the Olympics in 2004. And then, um, 
I didn't coach again until 2010. The Australian thing was fun, man. I, I was still, you know, it was baseball, but it was incredible. It was an experience that, I mean, I am so happy I had that experience. That was one of the best experiences of my life, you know. So, um, but when I got back into baseball, you know, and we talk about my life, you know, and if you really sum it up in, in a short paragraph, you know, 10 years old, Jamaica, started playing at 14, 17, get drafted, 21, got to the big leagues, played 19 years, won three World Series, um, you know, three all-star games, took some time off, did some something in Australia, uh, interviewed for it, took a, a job with the Dodgers, got a big league interview with them, had big league interviews afterwards, took a job in minor leagues with the, with the uh, Red Sox, and from that point on, again, here the, here's that dream starting all over again. Big leagues, big leagues, big leagues, big leagues. And in the same time, it's not like just being in the big leagues. The teams I was on, they were successful teams. We didn't win a World Series, but we were some of the best offenses in big in, in my time, you know, when, on my watch. So, you know, for me to take this year off, I try, I, the one job, Booney, that I really wanted to try to get this year was the Padres job. When Bo Mel went over there and they were looking for a hitting coach, that was the only job that I would have said yes to, regardless of the money, regardless of whatever, because I feel like the Padres have a team that could win a championship. I don't care what division they're in. I know the Dodgers are in their division, and I know whoever else is in it, it's Giants and whoever else. That team is a world championship team waiting to happen all you need to do with that team is get them to play together you see a lot of celebration and a lot of stuff but i also see a lot of individuality at times there you know mm -hmm. and i want to see some selflessness because when you got teams with machado and you've got uh, uh tatis and you've got crowenworth and you've got guys hosmer and you know, I mean, come on, man, that team and the pitching staff with Darvish and whoever else you got there, you know, um, that's a good team. Snell, come on. That's a, a, a team built to win. So when that yeah. position, when Bob got that um, job this year, I did put in a call to A.J. Preller and let him know how much I really would love to come over for an interview. The sad part about it is I never got that interview, you know. And that's all I really wanted because I think he would have liked to hear what I had to say. But, you know, with that being said, um, you know, Bob Mills is a good friend of mine and I hope he's successful over there and I'm not closing the door on anything, you know, I mean, the door remains open. I'll take the time off, enjoy the time. I still watch the game. You know, I still talk to some hitters. I won't say who they still call me. I talked to a couple of them yesterday. You know, I, I still, uh, access videos, watching them, and I'll critique them and tell them little things they can do to help themselves get better. You know, I worked with guys in the off season, so you know, I'm not closing any doors, but you know, I'm not getting any younger either. You know what I mean? And there are other things that uh, someone like me could do in the game. You know, consulting thing. You know, where yeah, you know, we got a guy struggling, or we got a couple players struggling. Without stepping on any toes, you know, we'd like you to come out and maybe take a look at them with their hitting coach, 
I don't want to do it without their hitting coach. And maybe you guys can put your heads together and come up with a formula or a plan for them that could help them get back on track. No things like that, you know, because, you know, as a, you're a golfer, you know, you're an ex-player, you have to be creative with players. You have to be creative and you have to look at that player and see the faults and see the good things. And you can't harbor on the negatives. You got to try to get them back to the good things that they do when they're having success. So how do we get that player to trust you to get them back to what, who they are and what they do best, you know? And it's not analytics and it's not data. It's a personal relationship with those players. And if, and if anybody thinks that that's going to change, mm-mm. if they want to change it to where data and analytics is what you use to coach, then you're going to see 220 hitters, 250 hitters, you're going to see the guys that hit 40 home runs and hit 210 and strike out 230 times, and you're going to call them superstars because they hit 40 home runs, okay? But they have 40 nice days out of 162-game schedule. My, my job is to make sure that you have more. You have 80, 100 nice days. And you know how we think. We'll end this podcast right now. The way I think is, you know, out of 162 games, if you play in every game there is, you're going to have 30 games or 32 games where you're red hot and nobody can get you out. And then you're going to have 30 games where you're ice cold and you're not going to hit water if you fell out of a boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. How do you manage that 100-game span? That's what makes your season. How do you manage those days? You know what I mean? Not the 30 hot days or the 30 cold days. How do you manage the 100-day period? Because that's the important part of it. You know? And when players learn how to do that, then they become better players. Without a doubt. Great career, Chili. 350 homers, 1,372 ribbies. Long, long time been been working with these hitters on some on some great teams had a ton of success uh giants wall of fame in 2008 uh this has been a lot of fun and i appreciate you coming on and and catching up and i'm sure we're going to see each other on the golf course here soon but uh it's been a lot of fun uh doing the show with you man it was good to see you at that golf tournament the other day i'm glad we reconnected you know i've known you and your family for a long time man and I love you and your family. You got a great family. And uh, let's stay in touch. Let's stay in touch. All right? Without, without a doubt. Let's play some golf. Let's, let's play, play some, some golf. golf, man. My game and stinks. What we, yeah, my game stinks. I got to get this putt thing worked <laughs> out. But what we do each and every podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. Dan Levy, where are you at? That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera Digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor, share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports, make sure you subscribe. 
never miss an episode. And while you're at it, give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on The Boom Podcast, he is Brett Boone. You can find him on social media at the Boone 29 I'm Dan Levy, B-A-S-S on air. That is base on air, all of my social medias. Thanks for listening. We'll do it again soon. Have a great one.